Mondo. All that thing still gets me hype. My name is Open Mike Eagle. This is what it happened was. Season 3, Episode 3. Appreciate all the love so far this season. We're talking with Dante Ross, the legend. Like and rate and review. It helps the robots love us. I think Drake said, the robots never loved us. I think that's what he said. This podcast is part of the Stony Island Audio Network. Your home for creator conversation. It's a big fat network with a bunch of shows on it. A bunch of hip hop flavored shows on it. One of them is the Fatherhood's Podcast. What up? This is your boy DJ EFN. You might know me as a drink champ, but first and foremost, I'm a proud father. I linked up with two of my other dad homies, Manny Digital and KGB, to start the Fatherhood's Podcast. Each week, we bring you insider hip-hop stories, parenting, and advice and therapy. The saying is true. It takes a village, and we humorously serve as each other's trusted counsel in figuring out how not to screw up being a good dad. The Fatherhood's Podcast. Beats, rhymes, and diapers. That's the Fatherhood's Podcast. If you're of my age and you remember the subject of this week's interview with Dante Ross, Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen, her debut album, then you might know a thing or two about beats, rhymes, and diapers. This is episode three of season three telling the story of Queen Latifah's debut album. This is the first artist that Dante Ross signed when he started working for Tommy Boy. The first project he worked on was De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. The first artist he signed and developed on his own was Queen Latifah. In this episode, we'll hear how he found her and also the most criminally underrated producer in hip hop, DJ Mark the 45 King. We'll hear how they put together the classic album, including the singles, Dance For Me and Ladies First. Without further ado, or maybe a little bit more ado, this is season three, episode three of What It Happened Was, Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen. Welcome in, this is Open Mike Eagle. This is season three of What It Happened Was, y'all. We got another very special guest with us. He needs no introduction, but... If you ever read the line of notes on classics from all kind of folks, you know who knew where to find the dope. It's Dante serving stories like entrees. I guess for season three, it's a giant like Andre. Mr. No Shit Taker, the third base hit maker. Eganar Innovator, the ODB motivator. He signed a roster full of heavy hitters. Office Messenger, the Grammy winner. Motherfucker Dante Ross. In the 90s, you would call him the plug. Signing act after dope act. He saw in the clubs as Pete Seagull leaders dealing all the above. If you don't know him, don't call him a scrub. It's what it happened was. What up, Mr. Ross? How you doing today, man? Good, man. You know, trying to hold it together, insurance things. That's real. You know, life happens, as, as they say in the many commercials, life happens. <laughs> life happens. Yeah. So we're going we gonna to go back to when life was happening around like 88, 89 today. Um, last we talked, 
it was about De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. And um, yeah. we talked through the creation of that. And and before we get into the subject of today's conversation, uh, I'm wondering, you know, you're working at Tommy Boy now. You get assigned to De La, you don't sign them. Uh, so right. while you're working on that album, who else are you looking at scoping in the scene when you're thinking about people you want to bring to the table at Tommy Boy? Well, I was thinking about the flavor unit because um, 45 King had all these promos on Red Alert that were um, phenomenal. Cool, 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 DJ Red Alert. And a bunch of them became records, including this Cuts Got Flavor. Um, and, and I just, um, I thought 45 King's production was next level. Um, so, so I'd always wanted to try to do something with him. And coincidentally, he literally walked up to me at the Latin Quarter. And um, he, I, it was so weird because there's no internet back then. But he totally knew who I was. Huh. Um, which, which I guess wasn't that weird because it was like, two white people in the Latin Quarter, me walking climb, maybe search. So, so, um, and he, he was like, yo, you Dante Ross? And I was like, yeah. And he bugged me out because he, he didn't look like he should be at the Latin Quarter. He was like, nice. He was like a yeah. friendly guy. Like no jewels, wasn't like thugged out. Yeah. Had like a, he had like a little Jerry Curl kind of like, not Jerry Curl, but like, he had some roots and berries in the hair, and, and, and he had some big he he had some big ass headphones around his neck, like almost studio headphones. Yeah. And he was like, "Yo, you want to hear some joints?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he pulled out a he literally pulled out a Walkman and had he used to put you know the the marking tape like with letters on it. Yeah. He said "45 King" on his, wow. on his Walkman. I was like, "Yo, who is this guy?" Like like He's a said, homemade label maker kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, you know the round gun thing. Yeah, and I was like, "This guy is unbelievable." Like, who is this guy? <laughs> He's such such an oddball in in the best of ways. And he played me all the shit that I thought was phenomenal. And I was like, "Yo, you need to come come to Tommy Boy and come play me joints." And he um he called me. Like, that was a Friday. He called me, I think it was Monday, and it was him and Fat Five Freddy, who was like my, my old school boy. Yeah. Um, um, he, later on, we, we wouldn't be as tight, but, but we were at that point, we were friends. And um, um, they played me Wrath of My Madness over the phone, mm-hmm. amongst other songs, and it really stood out. And I was listening on my speakerphone, I think, in my shitty office, and I was like, this is incredible. You need to come bring everyone to my office. That's what I told him. <laughs> bring the flavor unit to my office, kid. So he, he, um, he came to the office, I think it was two days later, with an assortment of flavor unit uh, members. I believe it was Lati, Lakim Shabazz, Marky Fresh, who I don't think was ever an official member, 45 King, and Latifah, possibly Apache. Mm-hmm. I think Apache, too. Um, and maybe Lati wasn't, one of them wasn't there. So he proceeded to play me uh, songs by them and, and, and they were all cool. And then he, at the second or third song was Wrath of My Madness. I said, yo, play the girl, though, play the girl. She was there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, she was so fresh faced and smiley and she was How really- How old she was around that She time? was in high school. She was a senior high wow. school. Wow. And she was really cool. And she dressed really cool. She had like a, like a dashiki top on and some like sweats, I mean, some shorts. And like some floppy socks and some kicks. She like looked really cool. Her, she yeah. had the, the bob and you know, her whole shit was fly. And um, so, so she, I was like, oh, play, play me her shit. 
and they played me it and it, it blew me away. I rain the lesson of today. You have to listen to each and every single word I have to say because the ruler Lord Ramsey is on my side and I'm the princess of the posse. So yo, take it like and Monica Lynch was in, the, in her office, which is adjacent to the conference room. She came in. She's like, Dante, come in my office. She's like, we have to sign her. I was like, yeah, mm. we really do. So she gave me the green light right there. And I literally told her, like, we want to give you a record deal. And she was like, okay, cool. And her, <laughs> her lawyer was Richard Grable. And I remember that after we had the meeting, we went down to this park uh, off, off uh, East River. And we, we shot some basketball. And she was a high school basketball player, which was cool, um, which gave me, like, another look into her life and huh. she was um really cool and we smoked a bunch of weed a bunch of dirt, <laughs> dirt weed and, and we hung out and one of them knew my man tahid who who i used to run the streets with he lived in jersey he was from jersey city or newark and he knew them so we had some people in common too which was cool we found that out when we were hanging out um and from there we did the deal it was a, a relatively cheap deal singles deal and the rest, you could say, is history. She, she um, was off to the races. That record, mm -hmm. we got the test pressing during New Music Seminar. And I walked around and gave test pressings of the 12-inch to people. And Red Alert, like literally, I gave him that record. And he played that shit the next day on air on his midday mix show. Or maybe it was the 5 o'clock mix show. It was, one, it was a midday mix show, I believe. He played it. And he he played it and cut it back and forth and played it. And then I, there was a party at a club called MK that night. And I went to the party and he was rocking it. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. shit. He was like, yo. And he was pointing out. He's like, this one? This one's rocking. And so I knew I had Word. had a song. And that's that's wrapped in my magic. Yeah. And, you know, it's that meter okay. sample. And that's, I think that's maybe why I like the record, too. Because, it was you know, I was always, like, trying to identify samples. And I knew uh -huh. that sample right away, Chicken Scratch. I was like, oh, that's the meters. That shit's dope as hell. Because um, my pops was a meters fan, so so um, I just it was it was on from there. You know, Forty Five King was like a really amazing cat. He had this studio in his basement, and he had it, it was so wild. He had like um, a restaurant booth in it. You walked in through a subway turnstile. He had oh, all this crazy dope. memorabilia everywhere, and records, 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 records. He had a board. He had a quarter-inch tape machine that he. he he tracked everything down to. He had his tape, his cassettes. He had his little like home studio that was pretty on point. And I remember when it was time for him to get his advance for making a record, he wanted Tommy Boy to, instead of paying him, give him a PO at Sam Ash for his fee, which I believe was a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars to make yeah. the record. And with that money, he asked me to go pick him up an S900. I picked up an S900, and I brought it to him in East Orange, New Jersey. And he met me at the bus. And I got off the bus, and I had the S900. And that changed the entire way he made records. Wow. Okay, so I think 45 King is a very interesting figure in the history of hip-hop. He, he's super slept on he's for so how advanced he was. Under, he's got to be the most underrated producer in hip-hop history. One of them, considering that he also did Stan, which no one knows. He did Stan, he did Hard Knock Life. Hard Knock so Life. So he's all yeah. through the eras, right? Like, he's had yeah. songs out. And, 
And a 900 number, one of the all-time greatest rap one dance of records of all time. One of the greatest beats of all time, which ends up being Let a, Me Clear My Throat. Dance, yeah. yeah, it's a dance record. Yeah. So, and, and he also made house records. Okay. And he had all those instrumental records he made for Tough City. I feel like some of his best work was like on those instrumental records without rappers. He was, he was like otherworldly. And literally his promos on Red Alert were like the highlight of the show for me. I would freak out when they came on in. And the way he chopped up drums, like his drum sounds were like, he was just at, he used the thunderous kick, like before anyone did that wasn't an 808. Yeah. He, used to, he always used the, the Link Collins think kick drum. And he always had it sound so big. He was so fucking talented, that guy, man. He was one of the earliest at really chopping and digging. Why do you think that he's not talked about the same way that a Pete Rock or a Premier or even Marley Marl? He's a pretty egoless cat. Okay. He doesn't have a huge ego. He's a quirky individual. He's like a big kid kind of. Mm -hmm. So he he and, and at some point in time I think he had some some personal issues that derailed him gotcha. a bit. And I think that that hurt him as well, but but he also didn't have one artist who he was like this is my artist. He you know, he had the flavor unit and he kind of didn't he didn't sign them to himself, mm -hmm. right? And he didn't have ownership. So they were just like them. a loosely collective crew, right? They were the okay. dudes who go to his basement and they'd all rap on the tough, tough city records, right? Um, and so he didn't have ownership of those guys. Well, Marley had ownership of, you know, perceived ownership of Cold Chillin'. But to me, he's every every bit as talented as Marley, if not more creative. And speaking of Marley. 45 King also did set it off. Okay. And he never gets credit for it. Huh. So that used to happen a lot, huh? Like back in that time, people would, like I hear like stuff about Large Professor doing stuff that didn't, yeah, didn't large, get credit large for. Yeah, Large Pro did the, er, the uh, he did uh, Cool G Rap, Wanted Dead and Alive. Yeah. But, but 45 King did set it off. Kane had asked him to, to, to do to do a song for him. I think Kane might have even gave him the grab bag sample. Mm -hmm. And he used he sped up the B Black baby drums and, and he did it. And and I have, I found the other day a conversation between me and Cool V. I'm trying to remember what it was on. Oh, it was on Instagram. Because Vaughn is a friend of mine. I love talking about records with Vaughn and history. He he Cool V is someone you might want to do that's, a that's, season. He, that's Biz's cousin, right? Yeah, he okay, was a DJ, word. but he has his memory is crazy. Okay. He remembers everything. Okay. And he he kind of counterbalances Biz's outlandish tales. So so Vaughn um Vaughn set me straight on Set It Off. And and 45 King did indeed do Set It Off wow. with the with, you know, I think Marley might have put in like UFO because he put UFO in every record he made for like <laughs> 10 years. So so but that was a 45 King record he doesn't get credit for either. And he also did um, Microphone Fiend. I was a fiend, fiend before fiend. I became a teen. I melted microphones instead of cones or ice cream, music orientated. So when hip hop was originated, fitted like pieces of puzzles, complicated. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. from one of his beat tapes. And and Eric Eric had him redo it and like paid him in cash and didn't give him credit, I believe. That's like the funkiest beat ever. That's crazy. But it, yeah. when, when you the hear that though and, and you... Okay, yeah, you and you hear it with the rest of forty five. Well, he had, stuff he had a promo sense. with Fat Five Freddy rhyming over it. That wow. man in Red Alert. Yeah, I'm not going out like a chicken like a chicken on Thanksgiving. That was the record. So 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 yeah, he he was he's underrated because he didn't have the ownership and he didn't promote himself as like Latifah and a forty five king. He yeah. didn't have a mix show. You know what I mean? Right. So that all worked against him, I believe. So so business wise, did he was he sign was he a part of the signing of Latifah? He wasn't even he, a part of that. He was the producer. 
Right. But he did. He wasn't part of it. Right. He wasn't connected with her as a business-wise as an artist. And that's why when the album industry. came out, you notice he didn't do the whole album. Right. Right. You know, and Naughty was under him too. Really, if he had a better business sense, he probably would have had Naughty. Right. And so it was all the flavor unit out of Jersey. Everybody all, was, all was out of Jersey. All of Jersey, yeah. Got you. Okay, word. So when you first hear it's is Wrath of the Madness, is that the, the demo that they play for you when in, that, that first time in your office? I mean, the demo is virtually the out the song on the that came out. That but that's the song that they played in the office. And then he played me Princess of the Posse as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know if you know, she played the keyboards on Princess of the Posse. He's I did not know bass, that. He's playing that bass line. And I wow. thought uh, the other reason I loved Latifah when I first heard her was I love dancehall. Um, right. and, and you know, there was like at that point, um, hip hop and dancehall were like cousins, brother sister, right. right? And and that kind of died. But when we went out in the clubs back then, and Red Alert I think set the tone for this. Dancehall started the party. So you warmed it up with some dancehall, then you play rap, and then you, you might have played some house, and then you might go back to rap, right? Gotcha. But, you know, there was a records everyone's playing, like One Blood by Junior Reed, and mm-hmm. there's a, a slew of records, um, all the Shabbos stuff and, and all that, you know? So Roots and Culture and all these records were getting played. So when she touched on that, I thought that was super hip. And, and we didn't really have anyone at Tommy Boys doing that, and she was at the forefront of kind of doing that. She was before that became... Like I think everyone did. Poor righteous teachers were like touching on it, and I think they're a little later even. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they are later. So she, she was early on doing that. I think maybe only Karis One and Just Ice were fucking with with dancehall type shit, and she was a female doing it. And I, I really thought she was when I heard her. I was like, she's the best, best woman rapper, and she was a young woman, the best female rapper I'd ever heard. So I guess you weren't into MC Light then, because I was. was. I liked MC okay. Light despite her high pitched voice. Right. She was just nice. She could just yeah, rap. She was she dope. Just nasty. Super dope. Yeah, yeah. She was like right there with Light, and and totally different than Light. And you know that Light's supposed to be on Ladies First, and she wasn't. That's interesting. Okay, so we're we're gonna touch on Ladies First in, in a minute. I'm interested. You said you took her music around a new music seminar. Yeah. Um. I remember I would read about stuff like that. All that stuff was over with by the time I was an adult. Um. So tell people that weren't aware what New Music Seminar, How Can I Be Down, like what those events were. So New Music Seminar is several years before How, how Can I Be Down. Um, okay. New Music Seminar was like uh, a new music, a seminar for new music. It was owned mm-hmm. by Tom Silverman. And it became, um, it didn't just showcase um, rap music. It was all kinds of music. It was pretty eclectic. A guy named Mark Josephson, who had a magazine called The New Music Report, with Tom Silverman, they owned it together. Okay. Um, it was like the CMJ before CMJ. They owned it with a guy named Joel, Joel, what's Joel's last name? I think Joel Bogart, he died. He was, um, he worked at, he was the president of Island Records at one point. Joel passed away and, and that was the people who ran it. They owned it. It showcased all kinds of new music and this thing mm-hmm. called the Battle for World Supremacy, what became a centerpiece for it. And that was an MC and a DJ battle. And that's where okay. Jazzy Jeff first blew up. He gotcha. came and he he showed the world transforming. Like he wow. broke out the transform scratch there and, and he did all the, you know, that crazy routine live at Union Square and all that. So so it had a big, after like the first or second year, it had a big draw for the rap community. And a lot of the stuff started becoming geared more towards rap. They do panels 
and mm-hmm. and um, people would be on the panels, and there'd be like all kinds of people from all around the country. And, and it was really genius because Tom and Monica were really doing market research at the same time. Right. And right, they were exactly. also and they're also flying in key DJs and like not payola, but like hey, we'll fly you to New York, and you can be on our thing, and we'll pay for it all. And you know, so there was that to it too. So it was a great market. Like radio DJs. Yeah, so exactly. Then, so then they're they're more inclined to p- to play Tommy Boy records. Because Greg they're Greg Mack is flowing in, and they wind it right. down, et cetera. Et cetera. Oh, it's so smart. Yeah, man. I really, I really missed that. I really wish that that was something that they had an analog for today. Well, they couldn't have it today because even as they did later ones, they, they became more violent. Right. You yeah, know? I remember. Yeah, yeah. People would wait to meet other crews and right. settle beef in the worst kinds of ways. People don't know how to act. Yeah, that's real. Guess why we can't? That's why we can't have nice things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Give a shit. We fuck it up. Yeah. Uh, so when y'all took her music around the music seminar, like what what happened? What ended up happening? Man, she was buzzing. It was okay. fast. It was instantaneous. Really, the minute we got the record, it, it just went. Um, everyone started playing it. All the DJs in New York played it. It started playing in L.A. on K-Day. Greg Mack, who was so, he had something going on with Tommy Boy because he played every Tommy Boy record. Like, <laughs> like we could have been from, from Compton the way he was playing our shit. And, um, and, and it just popped off. Like, it popped off and she started doing shows. And that's the other thing. She was a great performer. Trem- wow, so she had it all. Tremendous performer. And she had the Safari sisters, these two, these two hot girls, and they would dance mm-hmm. and dress like her, and they dressed all military, kind of militant. You know, she had her style was down, and Monica helped with that. Her mom, Rita, was really involved, rest in peace. Rita Owen, who was a, a wonderful lady, and her mom was really involved in everything, too. And she had, like, the thing about La was that she's a good person, you know? She comes from a good family. Like, she had, okay. she had home training. You know, and, right. and some rappers don't have that. She had that in buckets and everyone okay. she met would be engaged by her because she was really cool. She was like your homegirl you grew up with. She was the nicest person, you know, so she, awesome. she really had that that energy. Talk about PMA. She had PMA in buckets. And, and I really feel that that with her talent really helped her a lot. And I remember clearly she played the Apollo early on. Like she it was like she was the guest performer on Amateur Night at the Apollo. And she tore that shit down. She only had two songs. And she tore... Was that Wrath of the Madness and Princess, and Princess of the Pop? She tore yeah. that motherfucker down. I mean, tore it down. And, you know, she... she. I remember her at Hotel Amazon. I think Irving Plaza. Like, every time she got on, she tore shit down. We'll get back into it in one second. But I need to take a quick moment and shout out our sponsor, DistroKid. Man, so many of my homies use DistroKid. It's a music distribution service that makes distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to put their music on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. A million plus artists, and I swear I know at least 100 of them. And now DistroKid has an app. You can use the app to upload new releases, see your DistroKid bank, and get notified when you've earned royalties. You can even check your streaming stats live. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS. Go to the App Store and download it. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely with collaborators, producers, booking agents, managers, playlist curators, 
and more. Basically, anybody that needs access to your music, there's an easy way to upload it and send them a link. Go to distrokid.com slash instant share, drag and drop your files to upload, and then you can copy and send your link right there. It's free to send one gigabyte of files. That's like 100 MP3s. Don't quote me on that. Go to distrokid.com slash open mic. That's distrokid.com slash open mic. O-P-E-N-M-I-K-E for 30% off your membership. So how long after this do y'all start working on the album? A long time. Because I didn't work on the okay. whole album. And, and I'll, I'll, I left before it was done. So you were you were a what you were a, off a Tommy boy. I went to work at I, I went to work at Electra by the time the whole album was done. But I worked on okay. I worked on some of it. And we went and did the second single. And and this is the worst story. So the record was done. I thought it was it was good, but I didn't think it had a strong enough hook. Dance for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you know did it did it. It was a musical hook. The hook was the horn. Right. And I and I I convinced Forty Five King to put in Sly and the Family Stone dance with the music. Just dance for me. And he right. should have punched me in my mouth. Because <laughs> I cost him probably all the publishing on that record. I see. Right. I mean, it, okay. the whole record's okay. an Alvin Cash sample anyway. It's, you know, it's easy dancing. Um, the Commodore's cover with the, the break version that the 40, that, you know, there was a bootleg of it. Downstairs records that, that everyone has. It has crazy drum break on it. And that's a record to use. It's, it's a fast ass record, another dance record, really. And I, I was like, it needs a big, it needs a bigger hook. And he, mm-hmm. he placated me and we put that in there. And, and I can't tell you if it hurt the record or not. It definitely hurt the publishing. Some may say it was a bigger hook. Personally, I love Sly and the Family Stone, but, but go fast forward in time. If I had told that to certain other artists or producers, they would have told me to get bent. And he, he was such a nice guy that he, he went for it and ended up in the record. And the record also connected right away. Bong, another one. It went yeah. right right yeah. away. It was a, it was a banger. Yeah. I remember that. So I remember watching that video a lot. Yeah, it was, know, it was the was first one with the yeah. video. Fat Five Freddy did yeah. it. The video was popping. Um, she was dancing. And, and um, before that record came out, though, we started going to do shows and... And you know, I remember clearly going to LA with her to do a few shows. We did we did Skateland and World on Wheels. Mm-hmm. And World mm-hmm. on Wheels was the craziest place we'd ever been to. We were both like, yo, this shit is wild. Cause it was Yeah, and this is after you were already there with Daylight? I, I never did World on Wheels with Daylight. I did it with Skate I okay. did Skateland. Um World on gotcha. World on Wheels yeah. was the blood one. And and yo, this is great. We went to LA with Matt McDaniel, the and the Duke of Denmark, who was like a hot club DJ in New York, who he took on the road, and he was a he was a turd. He was the weird guy, <laughs> and we realized he was a turd like two minutes after we got to LA when he was like complaining about everything. And we were like, mm. she, she was like, you should just DJ, and I probably should have, because he wasn't doing shit except playing records. So so we went to K Day, and we're on K Day. She's getting interviewed, and. They played an ad for her show on Saturday at Skateland that we hadn't booked. And we're like, Whoa. we're like, yo, what the fuck? And Matt McDaniel was with us and he lost his mind because he's got a book for Friday. Okay. And, and I'm like, what the fuck? I was like, man. And, and I was like, it was an Uncle Jam show. I don't know if you know Uncle Jam was. Uncle Jam's Uncle Army. Uncle Jam's yeah, Army. So yeah. I knew Uncle Jam. He's Roger Clayton, rest in peace. He was a, a hustler boy. So I got to, so what the fuck? 
man, where the fuck is Uncle Jim, motherfucker? And he, he literally called the station. And, um, mm. and he was like, yo, what up, D? I was like, yo, yeah. I was like, <laughs> he, I have to mind my P's and Q's with Uncle Jim. I can't talk out of pocket to that dude. He's, we're right. in LA and you know, it's how it. He's well-connected well man. Well-connected man. And he's the big homie. But, he's, but he, well. he, was, he was trying to run game on me. So I had to exercise diplomacy, which, which I wasn't really a master of yet. But I was like, I was like, Yo, Roger, what, the, what's, what's going on, man? You got Matt tripping on me, and and you got me at Skateland, and we ain't got no money, we ain't got a show book. He's like, Nah, big. He's nah, little homie. Like, I got you. Like, don't don't trip. I was like, Don't trip. And I was like, Yo, what? You know? He's like, You going back Sunday, right? He's like, Yeah. He's like, So I. I, I, I want to put some money in your pocket. That's what he told me. Like, he was doing me a favor. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, here comes some bullshit. And Uncle Jam, wow. Uncle Jam was like, I, I got $1,000. We might have started at $750. I was like, hell no. He was like, $1,000. I was like, hell no. He's like, I was like, $1,500. He's like, $1,250. I was like, $1,500. He's like, $1,250. I was like, $1,500. He's like, $1,250. And I'll send a limo for you. And I was like, all right, let me talk to Latifah, man. But that was fucked mm-hmm. up. Right, because I mean, you got two shows in the same market one day yeah, you can't do after that. another, yeah, you can't, right? Like, promoters yeah, going not crazy. Work. So, right. I talked to Latifah and I said, What do you want to do? She said, I want to do it, but I need 1500 because Matt was paying us, I think, 1200 or Matt was paying us 1000 And he was like, mm-hmm. I was like, I tried, I got 1250 And she was like, Bet, let's do it. So I called I call Roger <laughs> back. I said, We could do it. Matt's losing his mind. We did the show at Skateland. And that was cool. It was whatever. It was it was gnarly. And then we did, I mean, at World on Wheels. But then we did Skateland. And Skateland was the blood spot. So and Skateland was the one that Uncle Jam booked. Yeah, I think it was in Linwood okay. or Compton. I think Linwood, maybe Compton. Oh, and it was it was maybe even Crenshaw. But it was man, that shit was <laughs> fucked up. We walked in and it smelled like dust. I was like, <laughs> she's like, yo, you smell the dust? You smell that dust? I was like, yo, it's gonna be gnarly. <laughs> and and I'm which is the weirdest thing I met Ice Cube and Dr. Dre there, but it was a blood club, which is really weird to me, because I, I I would later think they were crip related, um, mm. and they were there, and I got their phone number, and we had a big Samoan guy who was like a booyah, booyah he wasn't official booyah, he was he was booyah like. <laughs> And he, you know, this dude walked us around with a shotgun in the club. Whoa. It was so wild. And, and it was, Yo. it made Skateland look palatial. It was, <laughs> I mean, it made World on Wheels look palatial. Skateland was fucking wild and everyone was in red and it was completely blooded out. And that's the first time I'd ever seen that shit. It, it scared me way more than Skateland. And we, we got out of there and, and I remember the limo was a, fucked up old budget ass limo and <laughs> Latifah said yo that ain't a limo that's a demo <laughs> and we kept going it's a demo it's a demo we kept making that joke it's a demo so, so that was oh, that was our first great. show in LA and and um oh I got in a fight in the parking lot and I punched someone in the head and I broke my finger wow. I remember that too I came back my hand was like the size of a football um and I had yeah. to get I had to get pins in my hand because I'm a fucking dick and and, and um <laughs> it was a guy from New York too so fucking stupid. And Latifah was like, you got to stop that. I was like, yeah, I got to stop. That was, I was a bad drunk. I got drunk and hit somebody. So, so that, was, that was the first time we went there. We went there another time after that for the next record. And I remember she did a show with Tone Loke, I think, and, and Young MC. That was our L.A. experience. And, and we started, the second single started hit. It hit. The video hit. And it was time to make the album. 
And we're making the album, and 45 King was doing a lot of the album. And I'm actually going to pull up the album so I could tell you probably the halfway point when I, when I uh, disengaged because mm-hmm. I was making like $4 an hour and, and I had a real job in front of me. Um, That's real. Let me see if she, my luck is not even on. Like it's like now Tommy Boy's just sold the whole catalog, which is interesting as well. You talking about uh, in the last week yeah, or yeah, so? Just, that news that came yeah, out. They okay. just sold it to to uh, I'm trying to remember what they sold it to, but didn't he just get it back? They got so, it back a couple years ago, and he bought all this other right, stuff. Right. Okay. Um, and they went and sold the shit, and I mean it. Okay, dance for me. Come to my house. Mama gave birth to Soul Children. I remember when they made that. Um, mm-hmm. That was killer. Prince Paul did that. Yeah, that's the one with De La Soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was part of the Native Tongues. Um, they they adopted her basically. They because that's what I was. I had a question about that, right? Because you know, and all of the your description of the time and the era, and she's coming from Flavor Unit. When I first see her, she's you know standing side by side with the natives, and I'm like, did that? Was that the cause of any tension? Nah, she's like not at all. That was from a crew. Nah, that was all love. That was like she she they greeted her with open arms and she was she was into it. But I guess <laughs> I'm thinking more, I guess, from the flavor unit side where nah, like Nah, flavor unit were always cool okay. about everything. Them dudes was cool in the gang. They were super nice super nice dudes, super stoned out and just nice cats. Apache was writing her rhymes and Latiz, so they had some piece of everything also. So they, had, they had some publishing and I and see. they were like really cool. So dudes. they wanted her to get as big as possible. A hundred percent. They were all they were all rooting for it. Um just cause right. she was people's too, right? So, yeah. Um, so songs I, I do remember clearly were "Mama Gave Birth to Soul Children," "The Pros," which I think Daddy O did, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Daddy O was on that song with yeah, her. Yeah, he produced it. It was for this funky reggae compilation. My friend Matt Robinson was doing. He had a club in L.A. We used to fuck with him every time we went to L.A. He had, he was my old roommate before I got into music business, and he ended up being the president of Capitol Records. And Funky Reggae was his label, and he had mm-hmm. um, the pros for his compilation. Not sure if the compilation ever came out, but that's what it was for, and we just used it. Okay. Ladies First, of course, 45 King did. I remember that. We met Moni through the natives through Africa. That was Africa's shorty. Latifa went to England, and she was on tour with, with Moni, and Moni and her became dumb, dumb tight. Moni was like her okay. sister. And so we heard Moni, and we all wanted to sign Moni, but she... She had a really smart manager, Stephen, what was his name? He was really cool, English cat, white dude. He managed her, and he, he was in the middle of all, everything rap in England, including her. Mm-hmm. Everyone was cool, man. We had, it was good vibes, like, and Red Alert was like the linchpin of it all. And he was playing her records, playing Daylight's record that came out at the same time on the same label. She was pretty Afrocentric prior to them, she, so she fit right in. You know, she was, right. you know, Black Medallion's. No gold. That was her all day, and right. so it, it all made sense that she would be part of that, the, the the family. You know, we were all running around together, having fun, and it was it was innocent. People wasn't really, you know, how can I say like, so rap had been kind of, you know, rap is you know macho and yeah. and kind of closed minded maybe, and natives were the antithesis of that. You know, everyone was open minded and was into all kinds of things and had, you know, Jungle Brothers did Girl I'll House You, right? OG, right. OG B-Boys, the house music was for gay people, right? So, you know, that's mm-hmm. like an example mm-hmm. of how we were thinking. And so, you know, everything just came together. It was completely organic and, and everyone was cool and gang from day one. I, I mean, it was like 
you know, and De La was like the big bros, and Prince Paul is their big bro, so he, he obviously did Mama Gave Birth to Soul Children, which was, you know, it's an incredible song. It's great. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about uh, Latifah and, uh, you know, Black Medallion's No Go, which was De La, and then she kind of fit into that too. And so there's this imagery, especially like in a lady's first video, right? Like it's very Afrocentric, you know, Egyptian kind of iconography. And, you know, you, you had mentioned it up top, but I wanted to touch on it again. I, I'm, I'm wondering what the extent of Monica Lynch's influence was on, on creating that image. Yeah, Monica styled her for sure. Monica kind of dressed that way. You know, they kind of look like they dressed like alter ego versions of each other that time. Monica wore the big hat and she liked to wear like colorful, like kind of Kente stuff sometimes. And, and not, not too many white people could pull that off. She could pull it off because she had style and she's, you know, she definitely was a huge influence on Latifah. She worked closely with her on the imaging. Monica's really good at that. And, and I handled more of the music side of it. And, um, man, we, we have 45 King holding the backbone down. And Monica was definitely super involved. And they are super good friends to this day. Mm. And, you know, Latifah is, um, it wasn't hard, man. And the good ones are never hard. Mm. It's never that hard, you know. Like, you mean making the record? Making the records, getting their, their imaging out there. You know, the way they want to be perceived, it's never that hard because all the great, greatest marketing comes from something that's marketable, right? right. So, so she wasn't hard. You have to contrive, make it contrived and invention for her or Dela because they both had their own unique voices, mm-hmm. like style-wise, image-wise, point of view-wise. So, you know, you just accentuate what's there. And, and that was the case with both of those artists. And, and you know, Latifah was like a marketing person's dream. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a million-dollar smile. She walked in a room and she radiates Lit it up, something yeah. bigger than just music. She lights up the room in a humble way, not in an obnoxious way. So Flavor Flav lights up the room, but you want to get rid of him after 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's, she doesn't have that. She's really affable. And, and you know, it was, she's a natural, like I said. She's completely a natural. And, and it, was, um, it was really cool to see people take to her because I felt that way from the minute I met her. Mm-hmm. And so did Monica. And so did the world, apparently. So, in Ladies First, again, just to stay on that for a second, uh, there had been, you know, women in hip-hop at the time, you know, Roxanne, Shantae, MC Light, there's plenty of others. But Ladies First, to me, feels like a first, like, feminist type of rap song. It is. Did it feel like that at the time? 100%. And I was there when they made the song. I wasn't around when they did the video. I remember really liking the video mm-hmm. and being mad that I was no longer working at Tommy Boy because the video was so dope. Yeah. Um, and Shaquem had come into the picture at that point, too. Shaquem? Sha- yeah, and Shaquem Kampari, her manager to this okay. day. Okay. You know, he was like a street guy from Newark. He was like, but he was super smart. And he, he ran everything like kind of at that from that point on. And, and he was another huge asset. See, she benefited from having a real manager. And and Shah made you know he had on the job training he made it up as he went along, mm-hmm. and and only a few people are smart enough to figure that out him Chris Lighty a few others and and he he figured it out man she had str- a strong manager who could go toe to toe with anyone that helped her greatly and and I do believe that that was the first overtly feminist piece of messaging in rap music the song the lyric and the video and her mm-hmm. imaging was always feminist in in a sense. Feminist, but to me, in like an Afrocentric, cool yeah, way, yeah. in a way that wasn't corny. I mean, look, she was like, she was like a rapping Shirley Chisholm or something. It right. Was like, you right. know, she, she, because, you know, Shirley Chisholm reminded me of, you know, 
people's moms I knew, right? You always right on the block, yeah. Right, she just seemed like she was cool as hell. So, and Latifah kind of reminded me of that, and, and she's really an extension of her mother Rita, who was a super super nice woman, super sweet and involved, and did a wonderful job raising her and her brother Lance, who passed away in a motorcycle mm-hmm. accident. She's a really nice lady, and in in the school that Latifah went to in East Orange, and I think you know she was she was raised well. She was a good kid, and and you could feel it in her music. Princess of the Posse. I love uh, that song. Which is one of, the, one of the first two songs she has, one of the earliest ones you heard. Um, and again, we're going to contextualize all this in, in the context of the era this stuff was in. Because she's singing that hook, right? And yep. now that's something we kind of take for granted because so many artists rap and also sing their own hooks. But at that time, was that something that happened a lot? Well, you know, singing goes back to the earliest days of rap, right? Yes, we can, can, jazzy sensation, right? You know, um, those are singing hooks, right? Hollywood was singing. So, you know, part of the root of rap music is harmonizing, Cole Crush Brothers, Mm -hmm, you know, doing unison vocals, singing. But the way she sang, she was really singing, right? She was singing, yeah. Yeah, she's really singing. So it was a departure of sorts. And it also, as much as it was a departure, it was a throwback to the days of Cole Crush and them singing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it was full cycle, um, but you know, it wasn't the the norm to sing like that in your hook back then. And and she aced it with a very identifiable vocal tone and style, and she mm-hmm. could actually really sing. They call me the high priestess of disaster. Although I'm not a dread, they're not a rasta. There's never been a word I can't master. I've always been. What was, if you're comparing contrast? You had just come off of working on Daylight's album, which was, you know, one, your first project that you're A&Ring. And, yep. and so you're in <laughs> in this studio now with this project. Yeah, I don't know what the hell I did with Daylight. <laughs> Something. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. But what was this What was this experience like if you were to compare the two? A little different because 45 King came really prepared. He, uh-huh. he, um, cause he, he wasn't he, making stuff on the spot. Nah, he, everything he did was, was premeditated. Um, and that's how he worked, you know, and, and, um, she had her rhymes rehearsed already. She, she moved very fast in the studio. You know, it was, it was pretty easy. I remember that when we mixed, I want to say danced for me, but it might've been, we want to re, yeah, we did. We remixed. Wrath of My Madness, because Tom Silverman said the vocals wasn't loud enough. Mm. And it took us two times to mix it, and the demo sounded better because the vocals were right. We were chasing the demo. So that'll mm-hmm. show you how good 45 King's demos were. So, you know, he, was, he knew what he was doing, and, and because she had worked with him so much, she knew what she was doing. And she's right. a natural, man. She, her, she's easy to record. Her vocal tone you know, jumps on the mic quick. Very easy to to get her sounding good. You don't need a lot of effect on her voice. A little reverb and you're good. So you tell the story of, you know, you talking uh, 45 King into putting the Sly Stone into the, <laughs> to uh, dance with me. But Don't, since, don't since, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but since they're already coming to the studio with songs, how much room does that give you to have input not as a, an A&R for the label? Not a lot. And to be honest, after... After that one, I was like, you know what? I might have, I might have fucked up. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> didn't, I didn't interject much, man. And, and 45 mm-hmm. King didn't need much, and it was a different kind of thing. 
the way De La made their records was more by commune, like right. Paul, Dave, Mace, um, Posh. They're all throwing things in the stew. I was mm-hmm. around. I gave him a record or two. Monica, I think, gave him a record or two. Um, Double B, I think, gave him a record or two. You know, people who were around, Q-Tip gave him a record or two, maybe Africa. So, you know, mm-hmm. their shit was thrown in the pot and, and like, let's go. It was like gumbo. And 45 King and Latifah had a different way of making records. It wasn't by community as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, he, you know, 45 King's man, I think Louis, Louis Lou, Fat Louis Vega, as opposed to Louis Vega, has a song on there. Um, I think he did, did a song, but mostly, mostly 45 King, you know, he did a lot of it mm-hmm. and he knew what he was doing. So let's, let's talk about the house music thing a little bit. Yeah. Um, cause you, you said, you know, OG hip hop people think house music is, is, is for gay folks. Um, and there's a wave kind of happening, right? Yeah. Cause you got Latifah doing this house music, um, you, you like you said, Jungle Brothers. How did how did this how did this work together? Like, if you were at a party where people playing hip hop songs and also playing the house, hundred percent. You played a house. You played a house set every set. In the hip hop okay. party, they played probably at least a half hour, if not forty five minutes of house music, and it was usually a prime time, and that got the girls, you know, dancing. And it's up tempo mm-hmm. music, and rap was pretty up tempo too at times. And you know, it was it was records like Todd Terry, right? Because his records are very b-boy for house records. They're they're hard records made on SP12. They sound the way he made those records sound like they're constructed like a hip-hop record, but they're 123 beats per minute. But they're house mm-hmm. records, right? They're not all four on the floor. So go bango, take them to the Batmobile, party people, which is the record that Jungle Brothers used for Girl I'll House You. It's the same backing track. These records and a host of others, Ray's Break for Love. They're all getting played in the context of the hip hop party, and they're all um, the the young hip hop kids are all dancing to that, and we're all into that kind of music. And if you look at even mm-hmm. the records, De La sampling, and and even Prince Paul, they're sampling records that are played at clubs like the Paradise Garage, up tempo records like Instant Funk, and you know even Knee Deep, and a lot of these records. So they're in a tempo range that's not that far away from house music. And they were played in clubs like the Fun House, Paradise Garage, and and um, the Loft. And not that I don't think any of those guys are cognizant of that, but but Red Alert was cognizant of it. I was cognizant of mm. it. Todd Terry is cognizant of it. Forty Five King is cognizant of it. So there's a crossover between these records that are what we called it club music before it was called house okay. music. So club music is gotcha. what maybe people call boogie now. Right. And club music mm-hmm. is all those up tempo funk records. Like if you look at my Instagram, there's a billion of them. That's the music I really like. So those kind of records like don't, you know, don't make me wait. Mm-hmm. Marshall Jefferson House Music, Work Your Body, all these records are are getting played. So, you know, it was a natural thing. And back then there was, you know, there was like kind of the joke, like, where's your hip house record? Right. Uh, right, right. Right. That's what I'm interested where's in. Where's your right? hip house record? Where's your, you know, where, <laughs> where's your reggae record? Right. Right. Because later on in hip hop, you start to get the influx of like the the hardcore rap album with the R&B right. track. But at this time, it's like, OK, you do the hardcore rap album, but you do one right. for the house music. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then that kind of ended. And, and it, made it was me, quick. If, it, it, it was my, quick. Yeah, you know, because Casey Flight had, had the joint. Right. Planet E was banging. And that was okay. a hot record. And then Jungle Brothers had a hot one. Obviously, you know, 
Um, uh, what, why am I losing my um, Jungle Brothers? What the fuck is the name of the girl? I'll house you. I'll house. So, I'll house and you. that's a classic, and that's banging, and that's a big hit in New York. So everyone starts doing mm-hmm. it. Check this out. Right, and then it just it, at some point it kind of diverts. Daylight never had a house. It seems record. like, the, yeah, they had kicked out the house, but that was yeah, a joke. exactly. And, and, <laughs> and um, tribe never had a house record. Tribe never had a house you know, record. So, That's real. So That's you know, real. not everyone had a hip house record, but but it was definitely a trend. Right, right. Um, so you leave Tommy Boy while this project is still being made. Yeah, it was like mostly done, mm-hmm. and and. The house record got made when I left. I don't know if that would have got made on my watch. That's real. Um, and I left, and, and the record came out, and, and I hate saying this, but I thought the record was, was not as good as it could have been. Hmm. I felt like if I had stayed there, the record would have been better. What do you think you would have done? I would have had more Wrath of My Madness songs. Got you. I think she should have just rapped a little harder, a little more. And it's a short album, It is too. short. It is short, because so, they put all the remixes at the end that kind of like filled it out, but the album itself yeah, is kind of short. They did that to kind of make the album longer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Ladies First was a hit, but that was done really early. Um, I, lo- I love the Queen of Royal Badness. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really good. And I like King and Queen Creation because it's like a dance all thing. That was really cool. And it's too. like that's the one where uh, 45 King is rapping on it, too. Yeah, exactly. Where, which I thought was cool. That was tight. I was tight to hear. I thought, and they did it in his basement. It had that feel. Um, I would have just probably wanted to get a, a couple more hard forty-five King joints. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, um, but the record's good. It, it, it's you know, it's pretty good. I just thought it could have been like a ten, and and it was like eight, Got seven point five. Got you. So, but what was it like leaving a project? You know, the first artist you signed. They're working on their fuck, album. It hurt. Yeah, it hurt because I was I was I was catching crickets at Electra uh. and, and Tommy Boy's on fire and I'm over here making twice as much money with no hits. Wow, shit hurt. And then Digital Underground hits and who you, you know, also really, signed? I, I signed. I, I was involved. Okay, like I was the one. Like Ed Strickland brought it in and I was like, I love this. We should do it and everyone agreed and we did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I was like by committee and you know whatever. There, there's always kind of some some debate on that one. So you leave you leave this album as it's being made. You go on to Electra, and what I'm curious about is in this time, were you also working on the third bass album like at the same time? No, I wasn't working on it um, in any official capacity. They're doing the first record, right? And though I was around a lot, and I connected them with Sam Sever, uh-huh. and I was at a lot of the sessions, hanging out. I didn't make any of the music on the record. I see. I was not the official A&R person. Faith Newman was, but I was at the studio 18 times more than Faith Newman or anyone else from Def Jam was. But how how is this working out timeline-wise? Is this while you're at Tommy Boy that you're over at the studio, or is this while you're at Electra? At Tommy Boy, and I want to I want to say crossed over to Electra, and I was going to work at Electra, and I wanted to sign them to Electra. And Raul Roach didn't sign, didn't want to sign them, and largely because I, I, I'd have to ask him, but I think because they were white, he felt weird hiring a white A and R guy signing his first group he signed was a white group. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to him about it, and I got to I got to hit him up professor's memory, but I can't remember. But but he he was thinking about signing them, and then he didn't want to do it, and then. 
they had this deal in the air with Russell that was just taking forever and never really was coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. Like Def Jam was like, like, uh, yeah, nah, yeah, nah with them. Yeah, 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 nah. You know what I mean? And never was doing the deal. And it was kind of Lior's baby. Mm-hmm. And it started as a search solo record which no one knows, three or four of those songs were Search solo records, and Search couldn't get a deal. Wow. Like, no one would sign them. And Pete was in the studio struggling by himself. Sam Sever was my really good friend and my former downstairs neighbor. I called Sam and asked him if he could, would go to the studio with Pete and help him out. Pete had records, but he didn't really know how to produce records. Mm-hmm. He was, like, sampling them in the studio. So... Sam went and hooked the record up, and I can't remember what song it was, but it came out pretty cool. It might have been, I can't remember what song it was. My, my memory evades me. <laughs> um, and and um, might have been no static. So they end up, Sam is in a car with Search, and he, he tells him that Pete's pretty good, and Search has a chip on his shoulder about Pete. They had a mutual friend, Blake Latham, Keo, the graffiti kid, who was in a group earlier with Pete Nice called the Surgeon Generals. Mm. That was Pete Nice, Clark Kent, this kid, uh, Shamik, the, the beatbox, and Blake, Vanilla B, who disappeared um, into the ether for several years and then came back later, um, and rapping had passed him by. Mm. And that was their original group. So, not to digress, um, he suggests with me backing them up that maybe they should be a group and they battle in Search's car the the Ford Granada think tank tank that looked like a cop car and <laughs> and they the the seed is planted for them to become a group and they become a group and several of the Search solo songs including maybe product of the environment I'd have to look and see jog my memory um become songs that he spits a verse on and they become third bass songs. Mm. Um, and Richie Rich comes with Pete as his, his guy. That's his guy. They come together gotcha. as, as a two-for-one group. I'm trying to think what songs were, were Soul in the Hole, I believe. Maybe Product Environment, Words of Wisdom. I believe that those songs were... Oh, maybe step into the AM. No, that was later, and that's the Bomb Squad did that. Those three songs, I believe, were um, were already crafted by Search Solo, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Pete was um, he was put on those records. We're gonna dig into that uh, probably in the next the next time we sit down. We'll dig into it's a sticky one story. I know it. I know. We'll we'll see. We'll 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 test it out. We'll see. We'll see how it's feeling. I mean, um, you know, the the worst thing about third base is um, those guys don't get along. Mm-hmm. It's acrimonious, and like we were all kind of like they were like. There was some pick a side thing going on a little bit, mm. and and I don't want to say I ever picked a side, but and you know it's it's ironic because me this guy named Mark Pearson who's who's my business partner in like all this film and TV stuff like to this day like me and him have a company together that was he's one of my best friends he was the road manager and he was like the in really for Pete Nice to to meet me even um, mm-hmm. and I'd say Bobito and maybe Curious. And, and Search, and I would have put Doom in there, and a few others of, of us. We, we all kind of were in this thing together, and I don't know if any of us look back and really celebrate third base the way 
we should celebrate it because of all the acrimonious mm-hmm. energy around it. And so, like, I look back on that, and and part of it is also Def Jam's business practices. Like, I've never really made any money on third base, but I, I produced Pop Goes the Weasel. I made, like, you know, wow. nothing. Like, we, we barely ever got our advance. We got our advance when the record was, like, a top 10 hit. I got the back end of my advance. And between me and my two partners... We made $12,000 from those five songs uh, or four songs on the second record. And I think we had to wait till the record was a hit record to get our back end. We've never seen a royalty. We've never seen a royalty statement. <laughs> Every single sample is cleared out of our end. And, it wow. was, and, and I think Sam Sever has very similar experiences in never getting paid. So, and, and I think Sam has some feelings about it too. So for all of us, because the business and the minutiae surrounding it, Make, makes it a little hard to celebrate it but it but it should be celebrated and we don't really all get to celebrate it the way we should because the music i think some of it holds up i think sam sever did his some of his best works on that record his the stuff he did is is really good and um for whatever reasons it's 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 always like there's a lot of contention surrounding it and and some, you know, some bad feelings, I think. Um, and, like, with the fucked up thing is, like, I love Pete Nice, man. That's, that's my man. No one can make me laugh like Pete. Um, and, and, you know, through the ups and downs, like, you know, and there's been some. Me and Pete are, you know, we're, we're 100%, like, that's my man. We're good. And we'll, we'll be good to, the, you know, to the wheels fall off. And, and I, don't, I don't have the same amount of gratitude coming from, mm-hmm. from search. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's... that's um, that's a bummer because, you know, like with De La or Latifa or Brand Nubian, you know, for 99% of my acts, there's a lot of mutual gratitude, um, the guys yeah. I've worked with, you know, and, and I, I don't really get that same feeling with Search. I don't feel it come back. I feel, I feel like, I don't want to say maligned, but, but um, the human aspect of, of it is missing. And it's not mm-hmm. missing with a lot of others that I worked with and, and even people I know from along the way. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like in, in, in the story of, of Dante Ross's hip-hop you know, career that third base is important to, to talk about? It is because my first big hit record I produced is Pop Goes the Weasel. Okay. So, so we, should, we, should, we should do it if not just to, to make sure that we, we you know, I mean, I pro- give I, that I, I probably light. said everything I need to say about third base just now. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if we need to say anything else. Go, go, Stony Island Audio.